please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as a small rain upon the tender herb, as, as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. My well, friends, we're looking this morning at this uh, very interesting uh, hymn of Moses, the hymn, the song of Moses. It is, in fact, not his first hymn. It's his third hymn that he, is, he gives to us. You remember the first hymn that he wrote was uh, on the shores of the Red, she Red Sea uh, when uh, they, Egypt and Pharaoh and his armies had been pursuing after Israel and God had mightily delivered them. They all drowned in that Red Sea after Israel had passed over safely and Moses broke out in a song glorious song of redemption and of praise to God for his wonder-working power. And uh, it was, it was a fitting that a song should be composed and sung unto the Lord at that time. Then there's the prayer, a prayer hymn, we should say, of Psalm 90, uh, which perhaps was written uh, during the, the wilderness journey at some point. And now here, uh, the children of Israel on the verge of entering the new land of Canaan, on the verge of entering into battle, we could also say, uh, they stand here by the river Jordan, and uh, God tells Moses to write a hymn in chapter 31 and verse uh, 19. We see this. <clears throat> now therefore the Lord said to Moses, write ye this song for you, and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Well, it's a very unusual purpose, isn't it, for a hymn, that it should be a witness against the children of Israel. Well, there's a twofold purpose, really, for this uh, particular song, that the children of Israel are going to have to learn and learn by heart. One is, it's to be a warning, to be a warning to them not to turn to other idols, not to turn away uh, from the Lord, but to be faithful and to serve Him uh, right uh, to the very end. And all the days of their existence, they are to serve Him. After all that He's done for them, He is worthy of such a service. But secondly, if they didn't follow Him, if they turned away from, from Him and turned to idols, then this song would be a reminder to them and a witness against them, uh, at, uh, a witness for the Lord against them to say, this is how the Lord dealt with you in times past and look how you are repaying him now. Well, this was going to happen. In a sense, these words are prophetic words of this song because God knew that once they got into the land of Israel, once they got into the land of Canaan, and once they began to enjoy all the delicacies that God had provided for them there, and all the good houses, they would settle in and be so comfortable in those houses, and they would enjoy the fruit of the land and the milk and the honey and so on that was there, and much, much more. 
for then they would wax fat and they would forget God. This was the inclination of their heart. We see this here in verse uh, 21. It shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them. This song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of their mouths of their seed. For I know their imagination which they go about, even now, before I have brought them into the land which I swear, uh, which I swear. And then verse 27. Moses says, I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Moses says, I know what's going, what you're going to act, what, what you're going to do. I know you're going to rebel. I know you're going to turn away from the Lord. Because this is the inclination of their hearts. Friends, well, there were believers amongst them. There were true believers in that multitude, but there were, there were many, many unbelievers. And the inclination of unbelievers is that they will turn away from the Lord. Without conversion, it's guaranteed. Without conversion, a person will, will, will definitely move away from the Lord. We, can, we don't have to be prophets really to say this. The Bible teaches us this, that uh, a person, if they are not converted, the natural inclinations of their heart is against the Lord. It's to move away from Him, to other things, not to be for the Lord. Yeah, this is the natural way uh, of uh, each one of us, unless grace intervenes and conversion uh, changes us and turns us uh, back uh, to Him. So these people, they're, they're going to turn away from the Lord. And this song will come in as a reminder to them uh, when they apostatize uh, from the Lord. This song, this is like the Lord stepping in the dock as a witness and uh, giving his testimony against the people and saying, I was kind to you and gave you so many blessings. I was patient with you. I bore with you for so long, even though you provoked me for so many times. I have still uh, uh, put up with you. I forewarned you of the consequences of apostasy and so much more. And yet, though I treated you in this kind and gentle way, yet still uh, you have repaid me with ingratitude and you re repaid me by going away from me and by uh, apostatizing uh, from me. So this is what this song is going to remind them. The children, uh, everyone here is going to have to learn it. The children are have, going to have to learn it by heart, and it's going to be passed on from one generation to, uh, to the other, so that they could be reminded uh, of the Lord uh, in it. Well, friends, we all know the power of song, isn't it? We all know uh, what it is uh, to sing, and the, even the power that a, a song can have over us. Some of us, well, we dispense with our LPs and our old uh, worldly songs when we became Christians, or not long after we became Christians. But we remember, still even it affects us, even now that we are Christians. You may hear that song again, and you can, you can uh, remember all the words for that particular song if you happen to hear it in the supermarket or elsewhere. It still uh, comes back to you, and it still comes back to your minds even when you don't want it to come back. It's uh, hard uh, to forget, and that's probably one reason why God told Moses, put it into song, so that you, you will remember it 
And it will be hard for you to forget. Forget what? Forget how good I have been to you. Forget how kind, uh, kindly I have uh, treated you. And so uh, this is what Moses and Joshua also, who is going to follow after Moses, this is what they have to do. This is uh, uh, stanzas I given to them in this song so that the words and the works of God should never be forgotten. Well, the same can be said for us, isn't it? Hymns, friends, are a great help to us in our spiritual journey. Great truths are impressed if we sing the right hymns. That's why we make a point about it's important what we sing. Some people say it doesn't matter what you sing. It does. Great truths are, are spoken when we sing holy, holy, holy. Oh, we remember that. What an impression it makes on our minds. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some of you, you we know these by heart, isn't it? And it makes a, an impression upon us. When this passing world is done, that wonderful hymn by Robert Murray McShane, truth is telling us. We sing it, we're reminded, oh, I mustn't live for this world. There's another world that's coming. I must live for that world. All these hymns are so wonderful and helpful for us. Well, friends, time prevents me from uh, going through this whole song. Uh, but primarily, we have to say, this is a song about God and his attributes. And that's what I want to look at uh, here. It really is a rich mine of spiritual treasure. And to anyone who is searching to know God better, it really is a great help. Verse 3 tells us this, I will, Moses says, publish the name of the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's making known the name of God, the attributes of God, what God is like. He's making known to them so that the people will be so gripped with God himself that they will not want to seek any other God. They will be so taken up with the Lord that they will not exchange him for any other idol. They will see through all the idols. When they see, do that comparison between this God who is their God and all the idols, well, they say, well, what are they? They're nothing. They're vanity. They're empty. How can they help them? How can they help us? And we have such a great God by our side watching over us. Well, friends, let's look at just some of these attributes of God. And uh, firstly, uh, we can see the trustworthiness of God. Chapter 32, uh, verse 3 and 4. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. He is the rock. That is emphasized uh, in the Hebrew. The rock. And this is the first time uh, God, uh, God uh, this metaphor for rock is applied uh, to God, first mention of it in the Bible. But in this particular chapter, it's mentioned some five or six times God is referred to as the rock. And doubtless, I'm sure, the very first thing that would enter the children of Israel's minds as the, this, they sang this, He is the rock, they would have thought about that rock which was struck uh, by Moses and the water came gushing out there they were, they were in great thirst, in great need of water, and the, uh, desperate for water, and that water came gushing out to quench all that thirst. While well, the Apostle Paul, 
picks up on that in 1 Corinthians 10 and he, he says Christ is the rock Christ is the rock and friends it speaks to us of refreshment that in God uh, the people here and ourselves we can find spiritual refreshment from the Lord and we can also find shelter a rock speaks of shelter when I was <laughs> I used to think about God as a rock before I used to try to foolishly and naively think it was just a rock by the beach a small rock where the, the, the waves would splash against the rock and that's not the rock that is in mind here. The rock here is a great hill of a rock, a great and mighty, you could say a cliff, uh, which is a very mighty rock. And uh, that's the idea here. God is the rock. And when we speak of uh, uh, finding shelter in that rock, it's, it's like having a cave, a cavern within that rock where you can go and you can hide. And no matter how hard the storm beats and and the waters come splashing down you are safe within that shelter as long as you're in the, that cave inside the covering the rock will protect you and that's also an idea here that god is the rock in the sense that if you are in christ on christ the solid rock i stand no other all other ground is a sinking sand rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee that's what we do when uh, when uh, uh, we we, uh, we want to run as it were from the judgment of god from the anger of god where's the safe place to run you run to christ you hide in christ that's the only safe place from the wrath and the indignation of god that is going, going to come on an unbelieving and rebellious world that's the only place where we must go to friends the, the, that's what this word uh, is uh, speaking of a rock is also a safe uh, foundation and it's uh, often used uh, in, in in scripture to illustrate the trustworthiness of god a rock is dependable it's it's uh, impregnable so also is the lord god you remember how the lord jesus christ uh, in his sermon on the on the mount how he closed that sermon uh, with that parable about uh, two men and one man one man built his house upon the sand and when the storm came that well the house was was blown away easily but the one one person built his house his foundation was the rock and his house withstood the, the storms and the floods that came against it and the lord said that person who built his house upon the rock that's the person who, who, who builds his life upon my words who takes my words and submits to them and follows them and lives his life by them such a person will know a stability uh, in their life they will be able to endure be able to stand even on the day of judgment because they have trusted uh, in me and no one friends who trusts in christ and who trusts in his word will ever be disappointed when we when we put our, our trust in the lord he will, he will never fail us he will never disappoint us he will always be true uh, to his promises and to his words not it's different from the other gods verse 31 their rock is not as our rock even our enemies themselves being judges 
the gods of the other nations, uh, let them down. But this God, he will never let you down. You can depend. He is impregnable. He is trustworthy. He is worthy of our dependence. So many people today, or not, or not so many, but a few people today, sometimes you've heard it, I'm sure, they say of their husband, he's my rock. Or my wife, she's my rock. Well, that's all good and well, but this is the real rock, friends. Even people, husbands and wives, can let you down. But uh, here is the rock that we need to put our faith in, the one who is truly uh, dependable. But then secondly, uh, we see the fatherhood of God, and that's in verse 6. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? The word here, requite, means to pay back. Oh, Israel, what has the Lord done for you that you should pay him back with this moral perverseness and corruption? Why are you paying him back in such a way when he has been so very good uh, to you? Uh, do you requite the Lord, O oh, foolish people and unwise? He is your father. He is the one who has bought you. He is the one who brought you out of Egypt. And he brought them out with a mighty hand. As a father, he saw all that was happening to his children in uh, the land of Egypt. And he wanted to bring them out. And he, with great might and power, you remember the plagues that uh, God used upon Egypt, he brought out uh, his people from the land of Egypt and brought them uh, uh, into the wilderness and then on now on uh, towards Canaan because he cared uh, for them. We think, and I'm not making a political point here, we think of those uh, people who've been carried hostage uh, in Gaza and there's a few hundred of them who are still uh, in captivity, still kidnapped. Well, Israel is trying to do everything it can by its mighty power to bring out those people uh, from, from the, uh, Gaza to bring them back home. And they're using force, they're using their arsenal, as it were, to try and uh, achieve that end. But God, uh, because, uh, in, a, in a similar way, you said, and I just remind, say again, it's not a political point I'm mentioning, but God, in His mighty power, uses His hand because to bring out His children uh, from uh, Egypt. And friends, this figure that uh, Moses presents to us of God as a father, well, it unfolds for us some of the sweetest and most delightful thoughts that we can have. Some of the most tender thoughts of God are put before us when we think of him as our father. Moses here speaks of it, but of course our Lord spoke of it even in an even clearer way. When he, he was in the world, he his disciples said to him, teach us to pray, and he, he said, when you pray, say, our Father. Begin your prayer in this way. Well, a father, as you know, you don't need me to tell you, a father loves his children. A father will do anything for his children. They are dearer to him uh, than anything else. He'll provide them with unwavering support and encouragement whenever they need it. He'll always be there for them. Father will make great sacrifices uh, for his children. He'll protect them God, friends, is the perfect uh, father. 
God is a father who is always available for his children, always willing to listen to what they say. No matter how small or insignificant it is, he's willing to hear and to help. He wants his children to come to him, to speak to him, to trust him for, for, all, for everything. This is, uh, this is what fathers uh, desire. And God is the perfect father. Oh, friends, let this be a help to us. When you come to pray, just stop for a few minutes before you pray. Stop and think, well, I'm coming to God. I'm coming to my heavenly Father who loves me and who cares for me. Every time you pray, remember that. This is what the Lord is saying when you begin your prayers. Yeah, we have the Church of England this year. They are trying to rob us of this. The Church of England, or some within it, are saying, no, 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 no. This is not good. We, we mustn't pray, begin prayer. We mustn't refer to God as our Father. We, we want a genderless uh, prayer. We want, you know, there was one archbishop, he shouldn't really be an archbishop, he's, he's saying that, oh, it's problematic, problematic to call God our Father. Problematic? Well, what do you mean? Why is it problematic? Well, he says, well, earthly fathers are destructive and abusive. Well, speak for himself. We're not all like that. I know there are some like that, but uh, don't, 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 you know, don't put the same, uh, put us all in the same group. But God is not like that. No, God is far from that. God is perfect. He's the perfect Father. He does all things well. There's always kindness in His eye. There's always love in His heart. That's what He is like, friends. Oh, He's a Father. Our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us much, much more than any earthly father does. If only we could know that and feel that uh, each time. He loved and cared for Israel. Look at verse 10. You can only mention some of these things. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Or let's read the whole verse. He found him in the desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. That's like a father. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The apple is referring there to the, the pupil uh, of the eye. And you know, naturally and instinctively, if uh, we see an object coming towards us or a hand coming towards us uh, to strike us, we may, we'll put up our hands to protect our eyes, to protect our, our faces. Uh, to, it acts as a shield uh, to protect from any danger. Uh, it's almost as if you're guarding a baby, if you're holding a baby in your hands, you know, it's very precious. So also with the eye, uh, here when it says, uh, he kept him as the apple of his eye. God tenderly cares uh, for his people. He will keep them, he will protect them from the evil one. Am I a believer? Then uh, God is my father. He loves me, he cares for me, uh, he's available to me. He wants me to trust in him at all times. The fatherhood of God. But then also we think about the gentle discipline of God. Look at verses 11 and 12 where we have this very beautiful metaphor. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him and there was no strange God with him. Here, 
the metaphor is an eagle and uh, the little eaglets, there they are in their nest. They're safe, they're warm, they're comfortable. They don't want to get out of their nest, but they can't remain in those nests uh, forever. And the mother uh, eagle, she knows that. They must learn to fly. And so the eagle, using her wings, she stirs the nest up, and then those uh, little eaglets, they try uh, and flutter their wings themselves. They can't do it. They flap their wings up and down, but they're not flying. And uh, soon they begin to, to fail and to falter, and the mother eagle will come under them with her, with her wings, and they will fall on the wings, and she will raise them aloft uh, to the top again and let them try all over again. She won't let them fall right to the bottom and be destroyed and killed. No, she's training them a little by little, but she must begin by uh, fluttering her wings and shaking them out of that nest in order to bring them to a better place, in order to teach them uh, to fly. Well, that's what God did with Israel. That's what God did with Israel. When they were in Egypt, even though they were slaves, they were somewhat happy in that condition. They were somewhat comfortable to be slaves. They, were, they didn't care about being escaping from that place. They just were settled in it until God ruffled their feathers, until God made it harder and harder for them and more tedious for them to, be, to do that work. And God placed over them hard taskmasters and then they also were affected in some degree by the plagues also, until they came such a desperateness in their, these Israelites' hearts. We must get out of Egypt. We want to get out of Egypt. We want to leave it all behind. We want to escape these chains. God stirred their nest. And then he led them out by his mighty power. He alone, verse 12, did it. No other God aided him in it. It's the same for us, friends. Before we are converted, we're at ease in this world, we're comfortable in this world, we, we like this world, we think it's, it's great, it's fantastic, we put all our hopes in this world, that's what we, we think, uh, uh, think about it, we're, at, we're comfortable here in this, in this nest, we don't want anything different, and the Lord stirs our nest, then the Lord troubles us, then we hear a sermon, and the sermon uh, convicts us, and we can't forget those words. Then our conscience begins to trouble us, and the law of God comes in and says, uh, convicts us of our sin, and we feel our guilt before God, and we go from day to day, we're going about our work, but within we are we're ruffled, we're troubled, we're like a sea going, like a ship on the sea, uh, tossed to and fro and cannot find any rest, and then we cry unto the Lord. Then we cry to him to save us. But this is what the Lord has to do uh, before we come to him. Before we are brought to Christ, he convicts us of our sins. He makes us sad before he makes us uh, happy. He makes us feel that we are in terrible trouble. We want to leave this world. We begin to see, oh, this world really is it's vanity. It's empty. It cannot really satisfy me. It cannot bring, bring true happiness. And we want to escape from it. And we look, then we begin searching, then we begin asking the questions. Perhaps our business plans go awry, 
Perhaps things don't work out in our lives. Perhaps people that we are close to us, our friends, let us down. Some things will trouble us and we begin to see through uh, this world and we begin to seek after the Lord. Well, that's what the Lord does in his kindness with us to lead us out of the world and to bring us uh, to Christ. But then uh, finally, really, in, in, uh, here we see the righteousness of God in verses 32 to 36. And uh, I'm jumping. But in verse uh, 32 to 36, and I'll just read verse 36. For the Lord shall judge his people. Uh, the background to this uh, pronouncement of judgment is actually begins all the way back in verse uh, 15. Verse 15, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Well, the Lord is the judge of his people, that God is a righteous judge. And even though Israel are his people, he shall judge them. Here we see Jeshurun. The word Jeshurun means an upright people. And it's a, a reference to Israel. This is what Israel should have been. They should have been, as God's people, an upright people. But instead, when they grew fat, when they enjoyed all the good things that God had given to them, did they humble themselves in thankfulness to God? No. Look what happened to them. They forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his uh, salvation. They, uh, they, they enjoyed the temporal prosperity, but then they kicked against the Lord. Verse 1, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. The word kick there is like a mule or an ass that kicks back, doesn't want to do what it's told. It's rebellious. And so it kicks back at its owner or whoever is uh, directing it. This is what the people were doing against God. And they lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. In the Hebrew, that lightly esteemed means to treat as a fool. They were treating God as a fool. They were treating God as, uh, in, this, in this way, this, uh, this terrible way. And after all that he had uh, done for them, now friends, this is how they were repaying God uh, with, uh, after all, this was their response. Uh, to uh, his goodness. They kicked against the Lord and lightly esteemed him, belittled him, thought little of him, thought him as nothing after all his mercies to them. Oh, we're not like that, are we today? <laughs> we're not like that. We're modern. We don't do things like that. We would not kick against that. But look what happened to Christ. Look what happened to Christ. He came and demonstrated his goodness. How did we treat him, friends? We kicked at him. We kicked at him. We lightly esteemed him and all that he did. We treated him so dreadfully and uh, lightly esteemed the rock of our salvation. But verse 16, 17, it carries on. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to gods to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that newly came up 
just arrived on the scene, gods. This is who they uh, sacrificed to, whom your fathers feared not. The idolatry that they would fall into here is uh, predicted. Oh, friends, is it any wonder that they should, that God should judge his people when they are turning away from him in such a way? Verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. The Lord's saying, you've provoked me. By turning to idols, by turning to empty things, you've provoked me to jealousy and to anger. And there was a right response from God. It's a jealousy that's born out of love for, that he has for his people. They should have been faithful to him. They should have been loyal to him, true to him all their days. But instead, they turned against him. And their punishment, God says, is that he is going to take to himself another people. He's going to take to himself the Gentiles. That's uh, what's referred to here. Uh, and uh, by taking to himself another people and blessing them and, and, and uh, being uh, gracious towards them, well, these Jews, these Israelites, are going to be provoked to jealousy themselves. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 10. We looked at that last, last week. But Romans 10, 19, uh, these words also are used. And Paul there says, Did not Israel know? Did not Israel know? No, no what? We have to fill in, uh, fill in the, the words for him. Did not Israel know that the gospel would extend to the Gentiles? Yes, they did. Here it is. And then he refers to this verse uh, of, of Moses. And uh, they knew that the, 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 the gospel and was going to go uh, to the Gentiles. And they would see it. They would see it with their very eyes, that the Gentiles would be preferred before them and their hearts would be vexed when they would see the privileges that belong to them now in the hands of the Gentiles, the people that they despised and hated, obtaining God's blessing and they themselves will be provoked uh, to jealousy and to, uh, to anger. That's what the Lord is saying here uh, in this verse uh, 21. Well friends, much more uh, could be said but uh, I don't to, to, to labor the point here, but here the Lord is saying he will judge uh, his people. And even for us, we have to be warned by these things. Let us be careful. Let us not kick ourselves, be re rebellious. The Lord has broken that rebellion in our hearts. Let us not uh, continue in it. The Lord has redeemed us. Let us not lightly esteem him. Let us not lightly esteem the salvation. Let us not think it a small thing that we have been saved and bought with the precious blood of Christ, lest they bring God's chastisement upon us. Let us not think that idolatry is a thing of the past. Oh, friends, you remember the, the closing words of the Apostle John uh, in, to the New Testament saints, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. There are the kind of idols which we come up in our hearts which we must be careful to keep ourselves from. Be faithful in our hearts to love and serve the Lord. Well, verse 43 ends with a 
a promise of mercy uh, for the Jews. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Uh, there is a promise of mercy there, the conversion of the Jews. Uh, in the early church, it came to pass. Many Jews were converted. And down through the ages, we have many more also who have turned to Christ. Some people say there will be a great, great turning at the end of time before the Lord returns. Well, uh, we, we hope so. We hope that many will indeed of the Jewish nation return to the Lord. But as I close, these just few thoughts, friends, remind us of the Lord. He is our rock. He is our Father. He is our God, full of tender mercy. Don't think hard thoughts of Him. Think of Him in, in this way. You are the apple of His eye. But he, remember as well, He cannot turn a blind eye to our sins, even though He loves us so very much. And He may have to discipline us if we go down the wrong path. So sing. <laughs> you don't have to learn this song, but there are all the other hymns you can sing. May I say, in closing, about our singing, may I say, friends, that we need to improve our singing in the church here. And from this vantage point that I have, and I can see everyone, but I'm not going to point everyone out, <laughs> sometimes it looks as if people are miming instead of singing. You remember how you sang on the football terraces? You remember how you sang those pop songs? Did you mime? Did you, did you just you know, murmur those songs? Did you not sing with all your heart? Did you not sing with every, all the, the gusto that you could muster for your, your, your team when they scored a goal? Did you not sing heartily those pop songs? You did, isn't it? I can see you are agreeing. <laughs> And for the Lord, shall we not sing with fervor, as we uh, read, uh, sang that second psalm? Sing with all our hearts. Is he not deserving of more? Is he not deserving that we, he hears our voices? A loud voice, sing unto the Lord. Sing aloud unto the Lord, it says. And so it should be with us. Well, may the Lord help us to do these things and keep in tune as much as we can. Amen. Let's uh, sing then our next hymn, which is number 470, Jesus, Master, Whose I Am, 470.